time. Amen. Y'all can be seated and CIA. You can go to your class tonight. Little kiddos have a blessed time. Thank you workers for going in there with them. Hallelujah. How many of you received that email that I sent out this past week about tongues, the language of heaven? So that tonight we are going to begin that series. We'll be teaching on it for three weeks. We'll have Sunday night off on Mother's Day. And then May 15th is Pentecost Sunday. And on that day, we're going to have a major impartation service. Hallelujah. So, you know, I look around and I'm sure that the majority of folks here tonight are already filled with the Spirit and speak in other tongues. And if you do and you are, I say praise the Lord. Amen. What a blessing. Hallelujah. But tonight I'm just going to lay the groundwork for this series. Some of you may say, well, that's pretty simple. I knew that. Well, we know, you know, you can hear about the Word. You can read the Scriptures. But the Word of God is alive. And there's always something new and something fresh in the Word of God. Uh, recently, when Pastors Mark and Janet Brzee were here, she had brought this book that she had written. And, uh, you know, I really hadn't read it until I was in uh, Babyland in Branson. Terry Emerald had said, did you read that book? And I said, you know, I haven't yet. So I took it with me. And this is an amazing little book. It's called Tongues, the Language of the Supernatural. And in reading this and then hearing, uh, uh, talking with Janet, I I didn't know this either, but years ago when she was first traveling with Kenneth Hagin Ministries, she was over the prayer room. And one of her responsibilities was to lead people in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So she's got awesome insight in here. It's just a small little book. We now have 50 in our bookstore. I don't think it's probably two or three bucks. It's not very much, but it's worth your investment. Some of the things we'll be sharing a little bit later on in this series you'll find in here. And then also, we have ordered this book. I don't know if it, I don't think it came in just yet, but it's Tongues Beyond the Upper Room by Brother Kenneth E. Hagan. If you don't have that one, I encourage you to get that book as well. So for most of us sitting in here tonight, when I say the term, Spirit-filled, you know what I mean. If you attend this church or any other Spirit-filled church, you know exactly what that terms mean. But hearing that term, knowing what it means in your own thinking is different than walking in the benefits and the fullness of the experience. It's two different things. And so I want to, through this, I want to just stir all of our hearts. I'm stirred about the wonderful privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit, about having a heavenly helper on the inside of us. And next week we're going to get into looking at the benefits of praying in other tongues, which there are so many. But you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit... Uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those are all synonymous terms. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. Synonymous terms. But it has not always been a popular experience to be a tongue talker. I shared last week that uh, on Saturday down in L.A. at the L.A. Coliseum, several hundred, maybe 100,000 believers gathered together and they celebrated the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street 
outpouring. The Azusa Street outpouring happened at the turn of the 20th century. In 1906, there was a group of folks, of believers, that were hungry for more of God. Led by a black gentleman, and he was blind in one eye, uh, Reverend Seymour, William Seymour, got a group of people together to pray and to ask God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And there was a mighty pouring out of the Spirit Amen. of God. For many, many years, down through the centuries, speaking in tongues was a lost experience in the Christian world until that major outpouring. But you know, it wasn't always popular to speak in tongues. Those few that gathered there and jumped in the river and jumped out into that experience, it spread around the world. Now there are millions Millions of tongue-talking believers, of which I is one. How about you? Spread around the world. But initially, these people had to pay the sacrifice. I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination. My parents were saved and filled with the Holy Ghost in the late 1940s. And I remember that there was a group of people. I wasn't born in 1948, just so you know. That's when they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Not yet. <laughs> you were, but you know what could I say? <laughs> Don't raise your hand if you were. I know someone on the front row who was. And anyhow, but I, I remember them telling stories of how you know a group of believers came to that little town and started this Pentecostal church. And then my folks got filled with the Holy Ghost and started attending this church. My dad used to tell stories. You know, people didn't graffiti buildings back in those days, especially little towns like that. But they'd throw paint at the building. They'd throw tomatoes at the building. And they were harassed. And they were made fun of because they were tongue talkers. And when I begin to think about the price that people have paid that we can sit in this comfortable building and be spirit-filled believers, charismatic, glossolalia, and most people around the world know what that is now. It's a common term, even if they haven't experienced it. But I'm thankful that people paved the way, uh, first of all, on the day of Pentecost, and then down through church history that people were bold enough to say, I want all that God has for me. And I don't care if I get persecuted. I don't care if I get called a holy roller. Anybody ever heard that term? I don't care if I'm labeled a tongue talker. I want all that Jesus has for me. I was just sitting here in the service because, you know, sometimes I have to think about how long I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It'll be 50 years in August that I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I was 11 years old in August, and then in September I turned 12, and I was just getting ready to go into the seventh grade. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was at a youth camp in the Arbuncle Mountains of southern Oklahoma, and I was cried out to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and the fire of God came on me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Now, I hadn't lived a criminal life or, you know, a huge sinful life at age 11, but there was a change that happened to me. And I remember I was asking God to help me 
to be a good witness for him and to help me to be bold for him. I was getting ready to make a big change. And you know what that big change was? We grew up out in the country. And some of you will go, oh, that explains a lot. I went to a two-room country school. Glory. (laughs) Are you thanking God I've come this far by faith? Anyhow. (laughs) A little two-room country school. Ten miles out in the country. But that school closed at the end of my sixth grade. And this was a huge step for me. I had to go to the school in the city now. In Pawnee, a population of 3,000. That was a big deal. And I was entering junior high. And you know, junior high can be kind of an awkward time and all of that stuff. And I didn't know anybody that was going into the seventh grade. I knew one girl that was going to go in seventh grade with me. And I remember at that youth camp, it was at the altar where I was saying, God, I need boldness. Lord, there's a change coming in my life, and I want to be a witness for you. I don't want to be a wimpy Christian in junior high. And God filled me up with his power. And I think that you would agree I've been a wild-eyed Pentecostal ever since. And I'm glad about it. Hallelujah. And if you don't watch out, what's on me is going to get on you. And I don't think any of you here are resisting. You want to be filled too, amen? We don't resist the Holy Ghost in this place. We assist Him. Hallelujah. We want all that heaven has to offer. You might be facing some things in your life. Maybe on the job. Maybe family situation. That same power and boldness that came on me that helped me go into the seventh grade. And I remember it. I wasn't afraid to witness for Jesus. And you know, the Baptists were huge in that town, in our town. Most of my friends, they were Christians, but they went to the Baptist church. And some of times you didn't want to say, I go to that church. It was still that church when I was a kid. But I got bold and started inviting my friends to go to my church. Hallelujah. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. You can have that same boldness. Hallelujah. Now, this teaching tonight, you know, it may seem elementary, but I want to establish my case based upon the Word of God. First of all, who can be filled and is speaking in other tongues for everyone? So how about we start with what Jesus said? That's a good place to start, isn't it? Let's turn over to Mark chapter 16. The last part of this chapter, people know it as the Great Commission. But I think we should start actually in verse 14. Because these are the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples after his death and resurrection. This was an important message. He died and then he came back and said, I'm going to give you some more instructions. So verse 14, this is good. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. That's not so good. He showed up and you know what he was rebuking them for? It's because Mary Magdalene and some of the disciples that Jesus had appeared to, they were like, eh, I don't know. It must have been something you ate. 
I, I, you know, he's dead. He's over there in the tomb. So he wasn't real happy that they hadn't believed the report of those that he had appeared to after he had <laughs> risen from the dead. He said, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So he gives them this little rebuke. And then he goes on. And he gives them their mission. He commissions them. And he tells them what they're supposed to do now that he's gone. Because after this, he went away up into heaven. And they didn't see him anymore. So he's given him these last instructions. And let's look at it here in verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Y'all know some creatures. I know some too, but they need to hear the gospel too. (laughs) In verse 16, (laughs) He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then look at verse 17. The end and these signs shall follow those who what? Believe. Believe. Are you a believer? Then these signs ought to be following you. In my name, they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So Jesus gave them instruction that them being a believer, when they preached the word, they'd have these five supernatural signs that would accompany. One translation says, will accompany the believer and the preaching of the word. So what were they? Cast out demons. You know, we don't run around and looking for devils and demons on every little doorknob and windows and all of that stuff. But if a demon manifests in our midst, we don't have to shrink back in fear. We have the power in the name of Jesus to say, I command you to come out in Jesus' name. Been there, done that. You know, I've been preaching before in a meeting in Minnesota, a women's meeting, and a lady in the back row lifted up off of her chair. She was being elevated by a demonic power growling at me. You know, I didn't run out of the room for a second, I thought, hmm. But then I was like, I ran. I didn't run from the demon. I ran right back there and commanded that thing to come out of her. We got power over all demonic activity. And in this day and age that we live in, we are not looking for demons, but there is so much junk out there in the world. So much junk in the media. The young people, they're just bombarded by garbage and things that give place to the devil. So I'm just telling you, you need to be prepared. Because I don't believe it will be unusual or unlikely in this last days that every believer is going to have the opportunity to take authority over a demonic influence in a person's life. And know you got the power. In whose name? Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And then we're going to send the other one for last. But then he says you'll take up serpents. Now that does not mean that we go around and test the, the, you know, test God and say, okay, I'm going to go handle snakes like some idiots in the hills in West Virginia and all that stuff do. No, but you know what? I know the Apostle Paul 
was glad that Jesus had listed this in the five supernatural things that would follow the believer because he had a major opportunity to act on that scripture. Remember when he was shipwrecked on that island and he went to get wood and that serpent came out of the fire and attached itself to him? And what did he do? He just shook it off and he felt no harm. We have authority over poisonous things that try to attach themselves to us. And I don't believe it's just natural snake bites. There are a lot of poisonous things that try to bite us and try to attach themselves to us. What about strife? That is poisonous. It'll kill you. Envy, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness. Those are viperous snakes that try to attach themselves to us. But Jesus said, and we can take it to mean that. He said, just shake it off. You can take up that serpent, grab it by the head and throw it in the fire and say, oh, no, you don't. You're not attaching yourself to me. I'm not receiving any poison. I got authority over you in the name of Jesus. Take them up. Just wring their neck and throw them in the fire. In the name of Jesus. That's right, brother. (laughs) I've told this story before, but you know, growing up on the farm, we had a pond right by our house that we went swimming in in the hot July, August summers. And, you know, we were kids and we didn't, whew, had no fear. But there were water moccasins all around that pond. And if you don't know what a mo- water moccasin is, they're a poisonous snake. But we had this dog. He was part German shepherd. His name was Sarge. So he, these snakes would be laying on the bank of the pond and we'd be swimming in there. And if one of those snakes would jump into the pond, we'd go, get it, Sarge. And he'd dive in. He'd grab that thing with his mouth by the neck and he'd throw it on the bank and break its neck. So we had somebody helping us take up serpents. Why did I tell you that? I don't know. It's your fault, brother, because you were doing that. And it reminded me of Sarge. Yeah, he saw Sarge do it in our yard. He just... So, hey, we got something better than Sarge. We got the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. That'll help us shake those snakes off, break their neck, run their power to have anything to do with us. And he said we can drink any deadly thing. You know, we got power in the name of Jesus to sanctify our bread and our water. If we could see everything that went on in some of the kitchens at the restaurants that we ate at, not bowels, not bowels, but some of the other ones, we'd get real proficient in, Lord, I'm thinking, you know, deadly thing that I eat or drink (laughs) that's going to bring hurt or harm to my body. We've heard wonderful testimonies of missionaries around the world that have been in, in situations where if they didn't eat something that looked poisonous and deadly, it would offend the people. So they use this scripture, they ate it, They drank it, and no hurt, no harm. These are supernatural things that Jesus said would accompany the believer. If you ever need them, they're there for you. And then this is some that we need to act on and operate in. Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We got the power in the name of Jesus. And does that scripture just apply to the disciples and to the apostles? No. What, who was it written to? These signs shall follow those who believe. Let me ask you again. Are you a believer? Yes. 
Let me see your hand. Are you a believer? Now let me see your other hand. Do this. I'm a believer. And I've got hands. So according to the Word of God, I can, I will, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. Scriptural. Hallelujah. And then we saved this one. It was there in verse 17. But Jesus said this. It's in red in your Bible. He said, in my name they'll cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. Now sometimes the Bible, all the time, the Bible is simple and it's easy to understand. Sometimes there are theologians that try to mess it up and make it hard and difficult to understand. I've heard some theologians try to, to, you know, push this aside and say, well, now speaking in tongues just means that when you get born again, your speech will change. You'll be nicer. You'll stop cussing. And that'd be a good thing, to be nicer, talk nicer, and stop cussing. That ought to happen in the life of the believer. But that's not a supernatural gift like these others here. These are supernatural gifts. So Jesus is saying, if you are a believer and you already raised your hand and told me that you were, then you will speak in new tongues. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That right there is enough to say, okay, I'm a candidate. I'm a believer and I want all that Jesus said he's given to the believer. But you know, there's other questions that have been asked. And again, I know this is simple, but we are going to lay this foundation. There's not just folks that are here. Sometimes people listen online. And I believe that God put this in my heart for some people. There's other questions. Have you ever heard this? Well, what if I get a wrong spirit? I've heard that. People have said that. What if I get a wrong spirit? I'm glad you asked because Jesus answered that question as well. If you are a believer, you don't have to be afraid of getting a wrong spirit. Let's look over in the book of Luke. Again, this is in red because Jesus said it. Hallelujah. Luke 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask. And it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks, what happens? He receives. He who seeks, what happens? And to him who knocks, it is open. So this is the theme of this parable that Jesus is teaching. He was a master at teaching parables. And in this, he is assuring them, if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you seek, you will find. And then he goes in, and he's going to tie this in to, again, receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of 
of fish. The next verse, verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I think we know the answers to those questions. Then he goes on and he's saying, well, hey guys, if you being, being, being evil, you're just natural human beings. They weren't even born again. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Oh, I love this phrase. Read it with me. How much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's laying it out here real clear. That a natural father loves his children. He'd never give him a stone if he asked him a bread. He'll never give him a serpent instead of fish. He'll never give him a scorpion instead of an egg. And he's saying, how much more... Your father loves you, and he won't give you anything that will hurt or harm you. If you are already a believer and you have Jesus in your heart, that's the criteria of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you know somebody that had a, a demon or they got a wrong spirit and they thought it was tongues, the reason was they weren't born again. And they got something of the enemy. But when you know that Jesus is on the inside of you, you don't have to be afraid. How much more does your father love you and want to give you good gifts? You know, Pastor and I, we now have three granddaughters. Yay. I say yay because we had two sons. I'm happy about it. He'd like to have a grandson, but we'll see what happens there. My faith worketh for me. I got girls. <laughs> now, had nothing to do with it. If I was strong in faith, I'm... Oh, we're going to go there. Anyhow, so we got these granddaughters. And I know, I, we loved our sons. And I always did what I could. We both did. We wanted to bless our boys and give them this and give them that. Make sure that they had plenty to eat and, you know, taken well care of. Love those boys. But I want to tell you, it's a new level now. It's a how much more when you get grandkids. How much more do you want to bless these sweet little girls? The two little ones are just learning to talk. But I'm telling you, Livy knows how to talk. And she knows how to ask. She just say, Grammy, I like this. And I'm like, you got it, babe. (laughs) She learned at a young age. I mean, she was less than a year old. I still remember it. We were at Disneyland. And she had learned when Grammy showed up, she got blessed. So we're walking through Disneyland. She was about a year old. It might have been around her first birthday. And... uh, she was, I said, oh, we need to buy Olivia something. We need to get her something. Her little face perked up. She couldn't really even talk. And she pointed to this little Winnie the Pooh bear that she still has. She went, ah, ah. <laughs> Grammy went and got it for her, of course. Big old smile on her face. How much more if we love our kids and our grandkids and we want to give good things to them? How much more does our Heavenly Father love us and want to give good things unto us? I submit to you tonight that the Holy Ghost is a good gift. The Holy Ghost is a heavenly gift. Hallelujah. Comes down from the Father above. Comes down in His love for us. He 
endued us with power from on high because he loves us. Everybody lift your hands and say, thank God for the much, much more. Woo, I receive the much, much more. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the much, much more. Woo, hallelujah. Mm. So good. Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. Wonderful, wonderful gifts from the Father. Woo, I'm thankful, amen, for salvation. I'm thankful for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to look over tonight. At the, we want to look at the initial outpouring. But let me just give you a little bit of background. And if you're familiar with being filled with the Spirit, you know that that's in Acts chapter 2. But the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, everything that God does and did, there's a pattern. And there's a reason. And there's significance to it. The day of Pentecost, when those 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost in that upper room, fell on the day of the Pentecostal feast. There's a feast of Pentecost. And it fulfilled some things. The feast of Pentecost, known as Shavuot, was 50 days after Passover. These, these feasts and ceremonies that the Jewish people celebrated under the Old Covenant were leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled many of them. Pentecost, it was a, initially, it was a feast celebrating the giving of the law. You remember when Moses went up into Mount Sinai and it was given the Ten Commandments. Do you remember in the Bible it says that the mountain was covered with the glory of God, with the presence of God, that the mountain shook. There was lightning. There was thunder as God's presence came on that mountain. And when he came down with the Ten Commandments, what did they do? The Ten Commandments gave the children of Israel new revelation. It caused them to come up in their walk with God. It gave them new life of how they were supposed to live. So that was the first feast of Pentecost. The law was given. And then on the day of Pentecost. First of all, let me back up. Fifty days after Passover was Shabbat, the day of Pentecost. You know what happened on Passover? Jesus was crucified. On Passover. The Jews, the streets were crowded on that day because Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was, he is the lamb that was slain for us 
from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. And when he became that Passover lamb, no longer did blood have to be shed from those little lambs to cover the sins of the people for one year and keep covering and keep doing and keep sacrificing. No, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They weren't covered anymore. They were washed away. That's what happened on Passover when he was crucified. Fifty days later, on Pentecost, the streets in Jerusalem were packed with Jewish people that were there to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. Packed. And that day, Jesus had told them to go and to wait. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem. And what happened? The Holy Ghost fell in that place. And when the Holy Ghost fell, remember Mount Sinai, the glory, the presence, the lightning, the thunder, the new revelation. When the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound from heaven. There was such presence. It didn't just shake a mountain. It shook the place. It shook the people. There wasn't just fire on a place. There were fire on the heads of those 120 believers. Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Let's read this account over in Acts chapter 2. You know, we got three weeks here, so we're not going to take all night. I don't remember what time I started, but we'll go a little bit longer here. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, fully come, been fulfilled, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from where? Where did it come from? We're talking about tongues, the language of where? Heaven. Sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a lot of things here that we want to point out. First of all, suddenly... There was a sound from heaven. The Holy Ghost was in a hurry to come and to take charge of the church. It was his time. God at creation. Jesus, the plan of salvation. Now it was time for the Holy Ghost to come and to the church age to begin. So he came suddenly. Hallelujah. Sound from heaven not from the devil and not from hell this scripture right here is enough to settle the case our tongues of the devil no way Jose tongues came the sound of tongues came from heaven Woo! hallelujah and it was tongues of fire that sat Upon them. 
It wasn't like some of the pictures that I saw in my little Sunday school class. These little people were gathered around this little table and these little, looks like little flick of the bits over their head. No, it said tongues of fire. Oh, it sat on them. And I know my husband loves me when I do this, but it sat on them. The Holy Ghost sat on them. Pretty good, huh? And I know if I were to ask him, did he know that I said on him? What would the answer be? Oh, yeah. yeah. He felt the weight of my presence. Oh, I won't say how many pounds. And when the Holy Ghost sat on them, they felt the weight of his presence. They knew they'd been sat on. They knew they had received something from heaven, from heaven, sound from heaven. And it so consumed them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. There wasn't any little candle flame over their head. They became a flame. They became a flame of fire. So consumed, they spilled out into the streets. And God knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly when to do it. This was a feast day. The streets were crowded. Jews from all over the region, all regions around about, had come to Jerusalem. And they heard them speak in tongues. Hallelujah. And glorify and magnify God. That's what happens when you speak in a language of heaven. You're magnifying and you're glorifying God. Hallelujah. Who did the speaking? We just read that. Who did the speaking there? This is another question that people ask or they need answered. They'll say, well, now, when I get filled with the Holy Ghost, when you pray for me, We've asked people this, and many times they have the wrong answer. (laughs) Who's going to do the speaking? The Holy Ghost, they say. No. Let's look at that scripture again. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 2. Verse 4. Acts 2, 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And who began to speak? They is the understood subject, all of you good English grammar students. They is the understood subject. They began to speak with other tongues. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit had something to do with it. What's his part? He came on them. Woo! Like a flame of fire, he sat on them. And he gave them utterance. But they had to open their mouth and they had to speak. We must yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not every single day when you get up and start to pray in tongues that you're going to, fire, shut up in my bones. I don't wake up like that every day. But I do speak in tongues every day. 
because I know the value. And I know that when I'm speaking in other tongues, I am praying the language of heaven. Do you think that if the early disciples at the beginning of the church age needed to be endued with power from on high, do you think that we need the same Holy Ghost power here at the end of this church age? How much more? I'm going to close tonight by uh, reading a word from the Lord that was given to Lynn Hammond. Many of you know her. If you want to get this, you can go on her website, Lynn Hammond Ministries. It's down in her blogs. It's about tongues. She actually used this phrase, and I borrowed it from her because I liked it. Tongues, the language of heaven. Starts out like this. Tongues is the language of heaven. It is downloaded in your spirit at the reception of being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. When the language is released, that language will change the world and will change you. Anybody get a witness on that? Were you changed like I was changed when I received the baptism, the Holy Ghost? When used... When used, because it is accompanied by the fire of God, the language carries every essence and nature of God to any and every situation. Just think about that for a minute. When we pray in tongues, it carries the nature, the essence, and the power of God to any and every situation. We are limited in our thinking. We don't always have the words to pray over what might be going on in a person's life or pray over a situation in another part of the world. But when we yield ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and let that divine language flow out of us, there is power and there is an essence in that tongue that will change any and every situation. I don't know if that blesses you like it did me, but it sure does. Now listen to this. The language of the Spirit is very personalized and individualized, marking each person with heaven's label and tag. They are mine. Don't you love that? They are mine. When you are praying in other tongues, it is a direct hotline to heaven and the devil doesn't know what you are saying when you are praying in tongues it's like a big flag being flown in the realm of the spirit and a big old label on you that it says they are mine they are mine this is my child they're talking to me devil they're not talking to you they are talking to me they are mine Woo! There is much more to understand and to comprehend about this gift. That's what we're exploring these next few weeks. There's much more revelation to be had. As the Apostle Paul wrote, I would not have you to be ignorant. The more you understand about speaking in other tongues, the more you will give way to it and yield to it, growing 
exponentially. And I learned to say that word right. Woo! We're growing exponentially. Hallelujah! One last thing here. Speaking in tongues is a sign, listen to this, to arrest, to attract, and to indicate the presence of God is here. Why? Because it's a supernatural language of heaven. It is the gateway and the door to the supernatural. The Holy Ghost will bring the full expression of heaven through the believer. The full expression of heaven through the believer. I read this on Wednesday, and I know Terry and I both had that same thing in our heart. What is that? The full expression of heaven through the believer. I don't know what all that encompasses, but I know that we're in the time for it. We're in the time of the much, much more. We're in the season of signs, wonders, and miracles. We're in the time of days of heaven upon the earth. And one of the ways that we come, one of the ways that we give entrance and we prepare, and we invite him to do all that he wants to do in the earth is by praying in.